Hello, friends who listen to the Coffee, Books, and Music, and Movies podcast, where I talk about everything under the sun, uh, what type of food I'm trying, where I'm, what movies I'm watching, like The Flash is coming up soon, and of course, what books I'm reading. Today, we're going to be talking about a emperor of Japan, Hirohito, who was the uh, emperor responsible for the attack on Pearl Harbor during World War II in the United States. Uh, Hirohito and the Making of Modern Japan is the book. It was published in 2000, so 23 years ago. It's a little bit outdated, of course, but it does cover Emperor Hirohito's life, uh, who was primarily the emperor throughout the 20th century until his son came to power. Um, His son recently abdicated, and his grandson is now the emperor of Japan. So Hirohito's uh, bloodline and family is still very much into play in Japanese politics and power. Now, having said all that, we're going to talk about the emperor's history today. We're going to answer some boiling questions I'm sure many of you have, as I had while reading this book. One, what actually led Japan to attack the U.S. during World War II? Uh, Two, why did Japan align itself with Nazi Germany and the fascist Italy? And three, I would like to know more specifically about what led to Hirohito saying that he was not responsible for the actions of his generals during World War II. So, we're going to get into all that, um, and we're going to start way back when in the time machine, because we have a lot to cover today, so please bear with me. Um, I'm only doing one take of this, so uh, you're going to have to be patient. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is a very long book. It's about 688 pages. It's everything you could ever want to know about this one guy, uh, the Emperor Hirohito, which I knew very little about going into this book. Um, and like I said, you have to kind of go back further. You have to go back to the 1800s, which was a time in Western Europe and in particularly the West, you know, places like the United States were expanding their colonial empire. You know, like as much as we hate to say it, that's part of our past. We basically created colonial territories that kind of belong to us. The U.S. famously, you know, has possessions like Puerto Rico, which is part of the U.S., and Guam, which is part of the U.S., but they're not really states, they're territories, and that's basically kind of what Japan was thinking about doing in the future, and we're going to get into that, but basically what you need to know is during the 1800s, the Europeans basically were covering up the rest of the world. Places like Africa and Asia were basically being taken over by European counterparts. Uh, Sometimes they've already were in place for hundreds of years, like for instance, Portugal had a very big control um, in places like Macau, um, and it's just a huge ordeal of basically everybody is trying to gain something on everyone else to be the number one power in the world. And then you have this place, Japan, which was isolated for a very, very long time and is basically forced by the rest of the world to come into play and be a world power. And that's where we're going to kind of start our story. Uh, essentially, what you have is that the end of the Shogunate dynasty, which is basically the um, or, you know, ruling class that were the samurai had started to disappear. You have a new power that came into play, which is the Emperor Meiji, who was basically the grandfather of Hirohito. He successfully led Japan through multiple wars, most famously the Russo-Japanese War, where the Russians fought against the Japanese. Japanese won. We think this highlighted or maybe even heightened the downfall of the Russian Empire and start of the USSR, Bolshevik revolutions. Um, at the same time, Japan played a very prominent part also in World War One. They fought alongside the Allies along with Italy, which I think a lot of people don't realize. And on top of all that, 
There's just a lot of things happening in Japan. Everything is becoming industrialized. You know, the Industrial Revolution has obviously been happening. Uh, Japan is becoming more and more of a modern society and coming into play with other world powers and countries. And so with Meiji, Meiji was a very successful emperor who kind of led to Japan to one of its earlier golden ages. You know, again, it, there were multiple histories of Japan with multiple ups and downs, but this is an up in the time of Emperor Meiji, which I said is like late 1800s to early 1900s, and basically led Japan successfully to kind of initiate itself and start itself. And, you know, Japan basically had a lot of territory. It started to go into places like in Korea and China that were not theirs, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. But what you need to know is that Japan started very successfully building their own colonial empire and wanted to establish itself as a power. At the same time, you had the dramatic changes happening in the rest of the world. Specifically, you had, uh, like I said, before we kind of get into that, we want to say that Hirohito, my apologies, Hirohito was basically being groomed to be the next emperor, like uh, Meiji's son, you know, Hirohito's father, uh, was not in the best of health. Uh, he was going to have power, but he was easily overruled by his uh, subjects, you know, his uh, you know, assistants, um, you know, so to speak. So when that happened, Hirohito, uh, you know, was training to become a better emperor than his father. And, you know, he idolized Meiji and he wanted to be like Meiji. So long story short, Hirohito is growing up around the time of this massive change that's happening in all the world. Uh, like I said, you have World War One. you have, been, you know, cars and, you know, wars completely changing and, you know, people are changing and, you know, for instance, farming isn't as big anymore as it was and there's just a lot of upheaval and change in society. And what you need to know about Japan is that they really did not like this upheaval. They wanted things to remain calm and status quo and they wanted, you know, basically they believed, you know, or I should say the emperor believed, and basically the, it was his responsibility to bring order to the world and to basically bring all of the world under Japan's uh, do, or domain, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But basically what you need to know is that Hirohito was a Shinto symbol and divine emperor. You know, in other words, the Japanese people at that time actually believed that he was a living God, and everything he did and said and touched and however you want to look at it, people actually thought of him as a deity and not as a person, not as somebody who was in charge of leading their country, not a king, not a true constitutional monarch like you would see in England, but rather a living deity God that was descended from the gods way back when that was basically helping bring order and peace to the world. So, of course, people were very committed to following every word he said and what they were doing. And like I said, you know, Hirohito was using his fa grandfather's plan. And when he came to power, basically, his idea behind everything was to build this colonial empire. And in order to do that, he had to start with uh, gaining new territory and resources for his country. Japan is very isolated. It is very, very much separate from the rest of the world. So in order to get resources, they had to go ex and basically invade other territories, places like mainland China. Uh, China, which had already been fighting its own civil war you know, between communists and the nationalists, was basically being taken over by uh, Japan. 
And Japan took over and, for instance, took charge of different parts of the country, like Manchukuo, um, and started being aggressively involved in this. Like, in other words, exploiting people for their own benefit and power. And it wasn't just China, it was other countries, like in the Philippines, and like I said, Vietnam, and Korea, and it was just around Asia in general. Okay. Meanwhile, at the same time all this is going on, we already kind of know the basics, but basically Nazi Germany has risen to power. Um, this is the 1930s, so Mussolini is already in power. Um, they kind of see themselves as the Axis powers. And, uh, you know, Japan has ultimately seen its main adversary up until this point as Russia. So naturally, when the USSR and Nazi Germany declared war on one another, um, it made sense militarily for Japan to align itself with Germany and Italy uh, because, like I said, the Japanese people up until this point have resisted what they view as um, an invasion of their rights. Um, an example is they don't think democracy and that type of thing should have been brought to Japan. Again, societal upheaval, so people really did believe that democracy is a Western thought. It shouldn't be involved in Japan at all. So, like I said, you have this emperor, everybody worships him, thinks he's a god, he can do no wrong. Uh, you know, they're invading, they're winning other territories, they're basically massacring other people, um, which is, again, very sad and very, very not good. But basically, the Japanese people, uh, or military at this time, was very, very much in control of Asia. And like I said, it seemed like everything was going to work out for them because they had this new alliance with Italy and Germany, and everything seemed it was good for them for a long time until their new adversary came into play, which is the United States. And you might go, well, why did they think the United States was their main um, enemy? You know, if they already are having to deal with Russia, why is the U.S. all of a sudden their territory? And, and this is where we get into it. The United States was basically assisting... You know, before World War II, or rather at the start of World War II, the U.S. was neutral. It was not involved in the combat. Although we heavily did lend-lease programs and favored the Allies, you know, specifically England and, you know, Great Britain in general, uh, we did not have, uh, you know, any sort of aggression towards the Japanese people, you know. But we had warned... Many times, as you can see throughout the story of this book, we warned the emperor, you know, do not be aggressive, do not attack, you know, U.S. civilians, do not attack people. But again, this is what the emperor thought, and many Japanese people at that time thought, that the, they were fighting a war of self-defense. They had to find, uh, find materials and goods and services that they could use because they're a tiny island and they have to support the people. You know, they had a big population boom. They did not have enough resources, like things like oil and food and weapons and steel. You know, these were things that they needed. And, you know, the U.S. was basically standing in their way because the U.S. actually at that time had possession of places like the Philippines, uh, which was very close to where Japan is. It's a, they're both in Asia. They're both, uh, you know, like in the same part of the world. And it just made sense that Japan would seek to expand its power at that time and attack places that were under U.S. jurisdiction. But you see, the Philippines is not like attacking 
the United States. The Philippines, although it was a territory of the U.S., many thought, you know, that wasn't uh, the same as Pearl Harbor, which is sad because there were Americans living there along with people who were living in the Philippines. You know, that was a big deal. Uh, anyway, we all know kind of what happened, but basically... Uh, like I said, Japan needed resources, decided to declare war in the United States, attacked uh, with a surprise attack in December, Pearl Harbor, 1941. Um, many people in the United States already know this, but basically it led to the downfall of the Japanese Empire. Um, and basically, you know, Germany and Italy basically said that they also have to declare war in the United States. You know, the United States aligned itself with Great Britain and the USSR, um, and basically World War II was fought. And, uh, you know, we all know that Germany lost and, uh, you know, Italy lost, and eventually the lone survivor, so to speak, was the Japanese Empire. And we know that the U.S. bombed them using atom bombs, and the atomic bombs were the end of World War II as it caused Japan to surrender. So first we have to talk about what's going on through the emperor's head, you know, and what's going on through the military um, in Japan. And what's going on through the military's mind is that don't give up, don't surrender. The emperor is the only one who has the authority to tell you yes or no. And in the meantime, you have to do whatever it is that you need to do to fight this war. And basically, a lot of times, the Japanese military fought down to the last man. Uh, they did, you know, surprise attacks. They did kamikazes, you know, suicide bombing, uh, you know, where they would crash their planes into, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, military um, to try to take down, you know, ships and vehicles. Uh, you know, you had the very famously the Battle of Midway. Um, you had other battles and activities that happened. But basically, slowly but surely, the U.S. kind of leapfrogged its way until it could attack Japan and was able to bomb uh, Japan directly, like in Tokyo and places in that area. Uh, but long story short, as we all know, the U.S. decided that it would use the power of the atom bomb to end the war. Um, the, the part that is most controversial about the story is what happened next. Um, you know, the Emperor of Japan did not give in um, after the first bombing. And, you know, the Japanese people lost, you know, countless innocent lives uh, because an entire city was wiped out. Two of them, actually. Everybody knows Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, now, those cities were rebuilt, but, you know, the consequence of this was massive. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about it. You know, like the U.S. said that they're... You know, they were going to warn them that this was going to happen, you know, and they said they were going to bomb if they did not surrender. And, you know, they needed total surrender from the Japanese uh, military, which did not happen. So the U.S. bombed them. And they said, you know, the U.S.'s line of thought was that it would save lives. That is, American lives, which is probably, in that train of thought, correct. But they, this bomb, you know, it wiped out, like I said, an entire city. Um, so innocent people and civilians and just lots of people died needlessly that, you know, were non-combatants, which is terrible. Um, and then the effects are still being felt from that radiation uh, to this very day. And not only that, you had the emperor of Japan who basically said, I'm going to keep going. 
until you prove to me that you have another bomb like this. And that's basically what happened. After the second bomb, it became very clear that the U.S. could wipe out all of Japan. Uh, and, you know, Japan had no choice but basically to, to save itself. It had to basically say, we're, no, we're going to be subjected to the U.S., we're going to give up our, you know, our power, and it's over. Okay, and, you know, the U.S. won, and, you know, Japan was stopped from becoming this crazy, you know, military country that was responsible for basically killing a lot of innocent people. So, obviously, if we're looking back on it with today's eyes, you know, if you want to ask if the U.S. made the right decision, that's a very hard to answer because, you know, a lot of bad things happened during World War II. But it was the military that was responsible, not the people. And it felt like to me that one thing nobody ever talks about is that, you know, the people that suffered innocently. And there were people on every country in World War II. It didn't matter what side you fought on it. There were people who suffered. And uh, it's very sad and unfortunate that a lot of innocent people had to die for the emperor to basically say, okay, we've, we've had enough. Now, the most important part of the story comes next, because Hirohito wanted to preserve his crown and power. And it was basically the decision that was left to Douglas MacArthur, the uh, United States general who was leading the invasion in the Pacific. More specifically, he was responsible for determining whether or not this emperor should be found guilty of war crimes and basically sentenced to death. Um, and to this very day, there are... Uh, German concentration camp guards and other Germans that are responsible who've received the death penalty um, and that were responsible for the Holocaust. There has been many, many discussions about war criminals and specifically Japan had war criminals that were convicted of crimes against humanity. Uh, Japan most famously um, destroyed the city of Nanking, uh, which many people know today is, I believe, Beijing. Uh, but long story short, they destroyed the city in a very brutal fashion that was very violent and bloody and, you know, rapey. And there was also not only that, but, you know, like I said, they had used their territory in, you know, Korea and they had used, you know, death marches in Burma. And there was just a lot of different violent acts that were committed by the Japanese military. So it did make sense in theory to uh, try people who were responsible for those crimes. But the emperor of Japan himself was not ever convicted of a war crime and, in fact, kept basically dodging this question for the rest of his life, which is, why did this guy remain in power when you know, he was clearly responsible for attacking innocent you know, people, you know, not just in Asia, but in the United States as well? And the short answer is he was a check on communism. And basically, Douglas MacArthur recognized that, which is that, you know, China is about to fall to the communists. You know, you have the USSR. The Cold War is about to begin. You know, there's just a lot happening in a really short period of time. The Korean War, you know, was soon on the horizon. And basically, Japan, although it, you know, had its problems and problematic people, you know, that were very, very much to the right and agreeing with the emperor that he was a deity and, you know, worshipping him in that way. You know, Japan was not communist. It was, it was not a communist country, and it was a check on the communists. You know, it had, Japan basically was an ally of the United States following World War II. 
Uh, and like I said, many people disagree why, but that's basically it. You know, the the emperor was a check on the communism. You know, if if he remained in power, he was strong enough to withstand World War II. And you know, as long as even though if uh, sorry, let me let me explain it this way: the emperor, in theory, did not have the same power that he had had before World War II. You know, Hirohito did not technically involve himself in the government and in politics, but it is well known that he most likely still influenced modern policymaking and decision-making in Japan. And uh, to this very day, the Japanese royal family, you know, does have some influence over Japanese politics. Um, my, my whole point of the story is that Hirohito basically got away with the war crimes because he was that person, again, I cannot state this enough, that was one of the many checks that we had on communism, and we let him walk. You know, that was the deal. You, you stay allied to us, we'll give you a military, and you help us, and we, you help us, we help you. Um, and that's basically what happened in a nutshell. And here, Hito lived a very long, prosperous life into, like I said, the 1980s. Um, he's basically denied any responsibility for what happened. He basically said his generals, the people that he hired, his advisors, were in charge and that they were the ones that were responsible for declaring war on the U.S. In fact, he has gone so far as to basically indicate that he had no control over those people. But the truth is, is that the Emperor Hirohito basically did have every say-so knowledge of everything that was happening, what the uh, what they were doing to the Chinese and the Philippines and what they were going to do to the U.S. He had knowledge of all that and he didn't stop it. And it wasn't like he couldn't stop it. He could very easily. He just didn't. And it's, a, uh, I think, a very problematic aspect of the culture today, which is that Japan has never formally, I think, accepted this responsibility for the actions of what they did to the other countries. Um, and, you know, it's something that continues to this day where people you know, still say, oh, you know, he wasn't responsible for it. But, you know, we all know the reality now, which is that this person was responsible. He did do things that were terrible, and he definitely could have stopped things. He just didn't do it, and we just let him walk. Um, because, like I said, it was convenient for us. That is why a lot of the times you find other dictators that had stayed in power, you know, people like Franco in Spain and Salazar in Portugal, they held on to their power because, again, they were a check on communism. So, okay, um, would I recommend this book? Because <laughs> that's a lot to handle. And I'm going to say I give it a 3 out of 5. And I'm not going to recommend it for most people. Mainly because this book is so detailed, so filled with information that my head just explodes just thinking about it. And it, it is long and hard and challenging. And it deals with very difficult subject matter. And I think you just have to be in the right headspace to read it and to understand it. And it's going to be for somebody who wants to know more about World War II history. That somebody is usually me, but definitely not recommended for the average reader. Um, and in fact, there's <laughs> probably sometimes I should have gotten a syllabus out just to understand some of the words. Uh, so definitely a more advanced book than most. Um, and anyway, I, I did enjoy it for what it was worth. But definitely going to say, come back to that one later. Okay, now we're done with that episode. Stay tuned for The Flash movie review, which is next. And uh, thanks again for listening.